Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Don't have a ton of questions this week. Guessing? Purely a guess. And I know y'all are going to tear me to shreds, as you should, if I get my prediction wrong. Can we do this show in one hour total? I hope. I hope. Because we have to leave here in a little bit for a fairly important appointment. Hmm. How are you all doing? Uh, For real. And I know that you can't respond right now. Don't do that in public. It'd be weird if you started talking to yourself. But how are you guys doing? I ask that because I've heard from a lot of folks who aren't doing as well as I would hope. And this stay-at-home, shelter-in-place, don't-be-around-other-people type mandate that is making its way across the country. Oh, boy. Uh, It is having some effects that maybe weren't totally anticipated. We're social creatures, as our show happens to be, a fairly conversational one where I try and treat you and speak with you like family and you do the same in your questions and direct messages and just the amount of guff you throw back my way. So do know for sure, I hope, I truly hope you are doing well. If you aren't, if you are struggling with isolation or anxiety or whatever, don't be afraid to reach out through direct message. I'm not claiming I have the answers, but hopefully I can help or some of you all might be able to help. Our friends, our listeners, our participants who aren't doing so well. A better topic. Wanted to say all kinds of thank you to all of you. I have so many responses that I have to get to here. I'm hoping to do that in chemo today while we're sitting around for five, six hours with not a lot else to do. And just say thank you for the really kind notes, the incredibly kind notes that so many of you have sent in on the topic of should I change the format of my listener Q&A shows to just a quick, punchy get-to-it, no preamble, no aimless rambling, no uh, none of the me. Thank you for reaffirming the fact that I'm just going to stick with doing things the way that I do them and accept the fact that bloviating as one person wrote, which is intolerable for some, will unfortunately remain intolerable. Nonetheless, thank you for all the really amazing notes that were sent, some of the sentiments that came in. Uh, Some of you shared some very private things, very personal things about how this podcast and others like it have helped you and might even be currently helping you to get through some rough times want to say big thanks to Cooper Tires, as we always do to start that segment of the show. Beyond just the normal thank you, Cooper Tires, we have some t-shirts, friends. So you might have noticed on social media leading into the now-canceled St. Petersburg Grand Prix that our pals at Cooper Tires had a whole bunch of Road to Indy t-shirts made up to give away. Well, with no motor races to hold and no real method to give them away. They reached out to our friends and said, why don't we give some away in the show? To which they said, yes, let's do that. So we have some large and extra large Cooper Tires Road to Indy t-shirts to give you. I need your help. I don't know what we should do in order to make those giveaways happen. Uh, Should it be the first person to retweet this episode? Maybe. Should it be the person who asks your favorite question? Maybe. I don't know. Send me some ideas. We need a hook. We need some sort of method or reason to give away t-shirts. Not like there's a million of them. So just want to come up with something. So send me your ideas and how we might do that. And we'll get started. Cooper is all, all about that. Last quick note before we get rolling with your Q&A to say thank you to the Justice Brothers, Ed Justice, their entire family. I've had a couple of conversations with Ed recently and just reaffirmed why we have been good friends for a couple of decades now. And it's so great to hear their continued support of what we do on the show. Toronto Motorsports as well. Uh, <laughs> our good friends, our good friends there. They bring the silly. And also Bell Racing Helmets USA. 
we do this with our listener Q&A each week. We pick the question off Facebook, the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. The question to last week's guest that we liked the most, the one that got the most likes, and give them a Week in IndyCar t-shirt and probably some stickers and maybe a little beer koozie or whatever beverage koozie. And that's going to go to our pal Jamie Carr, who asked Michael Shank, what can the average race fan do to support the teams during this hiatus? Uh, this is a, a great question, Jamie. Got the most likes from you all. And so, Jamie, drop me a direct message with your email address. We'll get you connected with torontomotorsports.com. And get you some fun giveaways. All right, we're going to dive into your questions. I had a couple of other things I was going to mention, but I figure I'll just save those items for your questions because I got an hour and we got to get rolling. So, Brian Terpstra, the spirit vegetable of our show, is going to open. It says challenge accepted, hashtag challenge accepted, although you misspelled accepted. MP, you weren't sure. If we could submit enough questions for a listener Q&A show during the coronavirus shutdown. So first one, can you give us an update on where the first four races of the season stand between canceled and postponed? Awesome question, my man, Ryan. Right now, we have St. Petersburg as done and dusted, not happening. We have Long Beach as ain't happening. Barber has said it's canceled. I, I'm not doubting them. Part of me wonders if there's a chance of getting that back uh, a little bit quietly, privately. That's an event that continues to build year by year. And I know that there is a desire with an IndyCar to see if that can get converted from canceled to postponed. Uh, final one, Circuit of the Americas is another one where... Making that a postponed compared to a canceled is another big goal. And I would say that that doesn't just extend to IndyCar, but also the circuit itself. They, as you might have read, are in very dire situation with their finances. So any ability to hold a race, to generate income, to etc., etc., they are one of, I don't know, maybe the only circuit on the IndyCar calendar that jumps out as a, if they don't hold a race this year, I don't know how viable they are to exist. Not saying that IndyCar, holding an IndyCar race is the thing that will make Coda viable, but being able to run as many as possible is absolutely what they need. So right now, to my understanding, the first four, Ryan, are indeed canceled. I think there could be a goal to at least try and get one or two of those back. But that goal, I'd just say, is a bit of a moving target, meaning if by chance we have a miracle and the coronavirus is, poof, gone by June uh, at some point in time, and we can get back to racing, the amount of canceled slash postponed races will not be overwhelming to try and reschedule for those that can. Street races so far, the first two, we know not happening. If we're talking about postponed until August, we're going to have a lot of races to try and figure out. And that, I would say, would make the stronger, stronger likelihood, as I was about to say stronger on my unpolished turd of a show here, if we end up with a bigger stack of events that have to be potentially moved, I would say the earliest ones that might want to be converted back to postponed just might not. Uh, we've got a couple of questions here from our pal Trip Hazard. Hey, Trip. Uh, also, Cody War 11 from the Reddit. Questions about possibility of losing the whole year. For IndyCar and IMSA and NASCAR, could we see a scenario where NBC encourages IndyCar and NASCAR to pair up at tracks uh, after the normal Indy schedule to uh, finish out the calendar? And Cody asks something similar about stacking the Indy 500 and the Brickyard 400 together in the same weekend. This is, it sounds amazing to me, but I fear it is pure fantasy. I think, as I mentioned last week, and I say think because I don't remember because I just don't, 
I might have mentioned something along the lines of this is going to be something that television drives. NBC, as you mentioned, Trip is certainly going to be the one to suggest and propose some of these things. It does indeed come down to a case of how hardcore does the shared broadcaster for IndyCar, IMSA, NASCAR get and say, look, we've got this canceled, that canceled, this postponed, all these other sports that we need to broadcast as well. Sorry, you're not going to get to be super precious. And if you do want to rerun the name, the race, whatever it is, the such and such 500 and you over here want to run the such and such 400, well, guess what? This is the date that we can do it. You all get together and figure it out. This is the part where I hope we get some of these and not just because it will be the most convenient and most realistic for the broadcast partner, but because as racing fans, what do we struggle with sometimes on the, you know, the weekends where I'm home, it's, whoa, there's this race, that race, and the other race. Some of them have conflicting times or different channels or whatever it might be. I love the idea of a little bit of a Coachella, Lollapalooza, whatever type jam. Throw a couple together that wouldn't normally be on the same stage, and we as fans win. Uh, You as fans win. I hope that happens, because if it does, out of necessity this year, my guess is there's a stronger likelihood of those things happening in the future when it isn't a necessity, but folks you know, get a chance to do something for the first time, right? That's always the threshold to break through. All right, hey, it's an idea. Ah, screw those guys. We're not going to be the first one to do it. We're not going to ask. If they come to us, we'll consider it or vice versa. Sometimes you got to get through that thing. I always go back to being about seven or eight years old when my father asked if I liked uh, pecan pie. And I said, no, I don't. Uh, He said, have you ever tried it? And I said, no. And he said, well, how would you know if you don't like it? And I said, because it sounds disgusting. Maybe it is to some of you. He's like, got it. You don't like it, but you've never tried it, but you refuse to because it doesn't sound like something you'd want. Do me a favor. Just take a bite. He gave me a bite. My head exploded. It was so amazing. It was instantly my favorite thing. He mentioned that, of course, about a billion times uh, throughout the rest of his years, whenever anything came up where he could embarrass me. I just think of this in in the old Pruitt family pecan pie story uh, method. You know, no one really wants to be the first to try it, but I'm guessing if it happens, this will be something that folks do indeed want to do more of because I think we all win uh, if that does take place. Let's go to Jordan Darwin. Hey, Jordan. This is Marshall Racer uh, has articles about F1 teams looking at using their manufacturing capabilities to lend a hand in creating ventilators or other critical medical equipment in the COVID-19 response. He asks, how much manufacturing capacity do IndyCar teams have, given that they are not able to create much in the way of parts for the cars currently? Awesome question, Jordan. And I know one or two of you threw in similar ones. By and large, if we're just talking an average, talking about big teams, small teams, put them all together, what is the average ability? Uh, basically none. You have teams that have machining equipment, meaning metal. You have teams that have carbon fiber and composites repair or very light manufacturing capabilities. But actual production line style manufacturing or I would say soft items. You know, 3D printing, of course, is becoming much more prevalent, but what's the scale we're talking about? Is it 3D printing a brake duct piece? Sure. Uh, a thousand ventilators? I don't know about that. Um, that's the part where we might find, at least on the IndyCar team front, they might be stuck in a little bit of a high and low ground, right? We can do the big metal, beautiful bits. We can do the composites stuff. Not a lot right in the middle that might fit this uh, plastics, 
molding and extruding and such uh sewing right i do know of one race engineer uh, he sent me the photos over the weekend he asked me not to uh, mention his name but one indycar race engineer who's a thousand percent awesome spent the weekend with his wife and children sewing face masks for some friends that happened to work at a hospital and mentioned that there was a great need. And so they put their home skills to work. Now, could IndyCar teams do that? Yes. Starting tomorrow, Wednesday, we have the new stay-at-home order in Indiana that kicks in. So there really would not be the ability for this to take place, Jordan, on a shop-wide basis, right? Andretti Autosport, the article that I did with our pal Rob Edwards, they've got 140 people working there. Wouldn't it be amazing if all 140 were able to line up, get the supplies, get the materials to start sewing and making face masks? Absolutely. And would they if they were able to assemble? No doubt. I don't know, and maybe we'll find out more. Maybe more of these stories will come to light where, hey, uh, we know how to sew at home, and so we're just going to do what we can on an individual basis. I bet you that's the area where probably the most likely ability for IndyCar to help would come in. The fact that folks won't be able to get together, by and large, um, that's going to be the thing that really slows that ability. Our pal Tim Falkowitz who puts together your questions every week, says, when we get going again between IndyCar, NASCAR, and IMSA, who stands to gain relative to the others, and who loses ground to the others? Hmm. Well, I'd have to say IMSA jumps out here, Tim, just because it's the third and a distant third in name brand recognition and awareness. So if, by chance, if we go back to the questions asked by Trip and by by Cody on could we have some of these racing jams of throwing a couple of different NBC racing properties together. I think IMSA is the one that if folks get a chance to watch for the first time or even attend for the first time, if you don't love IMSA racing, you don't love these two hour and 40 minute, six hour, 10, 12, whatever endurance races where they just beat the living poop out of each other the whole time. And you get to see some pretty amazing exotic cars doing it that go very, very, very fast. Uh, I'd be surprised if folks didn't add IMSA in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship to their list of loves. Uh, let's go to Ross Porter. This is Marshall. Marshall law has been issued and America is on complete lockdown. Says you have one track food item to survive on. What is it? He says, hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of the Marshall Pro Podcast. I'd happily survive with the turkey legs from IMS. <sighs> All right, so ask the fat guy a food question. That's that's where we're going here, Ross. All right, buddy. Let's see how it is. Uh, let's see. So Indy jumps out as well as, as a place. You might have heard me mention before that 90-ish percent of the time, I bring my own food to the track every day, and not just Indy, but everywhere, because despite being a fat bastard, I continue to try to be less of a fat bastard. So knowing that track food in general is something that is certainly comfortable, it is comfort food, uh, it's maybe not the best thing. So on the odd occasions where I don't, uh, when Miller... Robin Miller surprises me with a fried breaded tenderloin sandwich from one of the vendors at IMS. That's usually pretty darn good. Uh, What else? Now, granted, Miller does another thing where he regularly goes outside the track to bring in lunch. Uh, So, yeah, working man's friend, hamburgers, pretty amazing. There's a sandwich shop that he goes to on the campus of a college I'm forgetting the name of. Those are just about the best sandwiches ever. But if we're talking strictly track food, Ross, I will mention this, and this is not good or healthy, but oh, I look forward to it. Every year at St. Pete, obviously Florida with a heavy Latin culture influence, the arepas. Oh, they're five bucks each, and I realize that they're not handmade. Like I've seen the little box of frozen ones that they get from whatever food store. 
But the uh, the cornmeal and whatever is in it, arep cheese, arepas, oh, <laughs> uh, amazing. Granted, uh, they could certainly put Pennzoil and Mobile One and a couple of oil manufacturers out of business. You eat a couple arepas, you won't need an oil change, brother, for at least two years. But yeah, uh, I look forward to those probably more than anything just because... It's not something we have here readily available on any menu on the West Coast. Uh, our pal, Kevin Perez Frederico, says, Hey, Marshall, after covering the recent e-motorsports rounds, what's your take? Like it or hate it? Um, I'll answer that first. So I, I don't know if, if there's a perception that I don't like e-sports gaming in general etc etc but that is certainly not the case Uh, i was talking with a friend here very recently and we were trying to think back to our first i guess you could call it you know gaming experiences uh sim experiences and uh mine was about 1989 or 1990 at the shop that i worked at at sears point our boss bob lesnet uh, on his PC, uh, had installed the Indianapolis 500 game. And, you know, it was a game then. I realized we would call it a, a probably a, a sim today, but at least then it was just considered a game. And that sparked, you know, I can't tell you, thousands of hours in the 1990s of me once I got a PC and bought all whatever IndyCar games, Grand Prix 1, Grand Prix 2, uh, I'm forgetting the name of some of the other titles that I had, but uh, I am not unfamiliar with what we call today esports. Uh, I do remember back in the late 90s, I think during a patch where I was single for a year or two uh, and was playing a lot of what my, I think it might have been Grand Prix 2. In the somewhat earlyish days of the web, even though late 90s weren't early, uh, there were some dedicated bulletin boards where we would post our fastest laps, qualifying times, uh, etc., race results, and just try and compare. And you could also, I believe, save and upload uh, the file of it as well. So I guess maybe that was really the, the... early version of this it wasn't a bunch of folks interlinked playing together i don't believe that was really possible at that time but we tried to do our best of at least seeing who did what and where folks ranked at certain tracks and at least their fast laps and such and race report or race results so i guess this is maybe a a way of saying I know that for some folks, especially younger folks, e-sports and e-motorsports is kind of a newish thing and or has been a really strong foundation of one's life. For some of us who may be a little bit older, like it's really not. It's awesome to see what it's become and how it has grown beyond a bunch of us idiots playing this at two in the morning and uploading, you know, our fastest lap to see where we ranked among others. But uh, it's maybe it's not new. And that's the thing that I think is important to convey. Uh, It's awesome. It always has been awesome. Where I get a little bit bent out of shape is where some folks assert that an excellent gamer equates to an excellent performer in the real world that's an unproven thing uh, just as championship winning indycar driver wouldn't necessarily be an excellent e-motorsports participant unless or until that's proven so but overall uh, having covered the imsa race last weekend it was a first. <laughs> uh, it was really interesting to think about the, the normal tools that I did not have available, uh, like live timing and scoring to be able to track who is doing what and look at trends, because at least my approach to it 
and I think I'm going to end up covering the first IndyCar one this weekend. Um, I'm trying to look at it, treat it, and approach it like a normal race and use the normal tools to do normal analysis. And so was fascinating last weekend to not have all that available, but to have to go, all right, cool. I can't do this the way that is familiar. Let me look for and find ways that'll work. So uh, I don't have an opinion on it in terms of it being different. I just look at this as it's my job. <laughs> uh, I was, I've never been hired to be a motor racing live circuit-based combustion engine only reporter or analyst. Uh, I'm a racing reporter, racing writer, and racing takes many forms, whether it is virtual or real. So, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. Maybe that's the uh, exact opposite of a hot take. I just look at it like that's the thing. What's the race to cover this weekend? Uh, it's whatever I'm asked to cover. Uh, William Matson says, now that we're all e-racing, who does the car setups and iRacing? Uh, he also asks, is Craig Hampson now engineering virtual cars? Uh, it's funny, I thought about this too, where for the freelance race engineers, uh, this could be an area where, you know, you make some extra dollars in trying to help folks with their setups. Granted, they would have to have experience in whatever uh, motorsports simulation uh, software to know what works or what doesn't work would also say, yeah, I fully expect to see that for some of the IndyCar stuff and IMSA stuff that the pro drivers doing it are probably relying on their race engineers to help. So, yeah, maybe this is uh, this is something that will certainly keep going, I would say, with as much help as possible. Uh, let's see. Let's go to J.J. Gertler. He says, MP, now that IndyCar is going digital, does every crew chief get to live the fantasy of standing right behind the driver and slapping him with a fish, yelling, go faster, or is that just me? Oh, no, that that is actually in the rules. And luckily, of the many things that are not sold out, fish, there's a lot of fish that's been sold to racing teams so far. Going to go to Kyle Donnelly. He says, this eSports thing is great, but who wants to see IndyCar drivers driving IndyCars? Or NASCAR drivers driving stock cars. When do we get to port the old Grand Prix Legends game and have these guys sling eagles around Spa? How about World of Outlaws cars at Road America? Or something totally off the wall like that. Let's be creative. I love that idea, Kyle. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I would rather see IndyCar driver Monster Jam. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather see them playing other things. I don't know if it's WWE or uh, NBA 2K, whatever. Um, that's what I would find amusing. Um, we just might find out how bad they are at non-driving things. Uh, I will mention that I did see the NASCAR iRacing event that was broadcast on Fox Sports 1 generated a .5 rating, which is about the same as many IndyCar races, I think 900 plus thousand people watched it. And the, like one of the, the really strong demographics was youth, which is the thing that every series is chasing. So I'll tell you the go to our live streaming option, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, whatever, get that. It's awesome. It's perfect. Do it. Don't change any of that. Uh, I think NASCAR just showed IndyCar, IMSA, and whomever else that, boy, they better be hitting up NBC to try and get their goodies uh, on NBCSN or whatever else because those are some ratings that cannot be ignored. Let's go to Pete. says, hey, Marshall, if IndyCar ever gets around to having a game, can I request an Easter egg of being able to select Uncle Bobby in a Hertz rental car? (laughs) The car would get better the more damage it incurs, like Bobby Unser's recollections. Pete, uh, I mean, I'm going to hold out right now. I think that's going to be my favorite question of the episode. Uh, Send me a direct message with your... 
email address and i'm going to make sure you get one of those cooper tire t-shirts and if you're smaller than a larger xl or bigger than a larger xl um i don't know uh at least you'll have one how's that so all right we figured out one method about how we give them away things just amuse me so pete send me uh that dm with your email address uh, and we'll get you sorted out there oh this is brilliant uh yes I don't know if you guys got a chance to read. If not, please check out racer.com. Our man, Robin Miller called uncle Bobby, I think on Sunday and just spent an hour on the phone, getting him to share thoughts about his major rivals and pop off about a few. And I know for some of you, uncle Bobby is a legend of your lifetime. Been around forever. Love him. Can't wait to hear him. You know, to believe half of what he says and I know for some others, he's a fairly new personality, whether it's from my podcast or Dinner with Racers or some other ones. All I can tell you is, you know, any time Uncle Bobby gets mentioned on social media, a lot of folks dive to, oh, did you listen to his podcast here or there? That's great. I'm not turning away the traffic, but Robin's been covering Uncle Bobby and has known Uncle Bobby for longer than most of us have been alive. So when the two of them get together and put together a column like they did, uh, it's genuinely something special that no one else can capture because it's these two who've just antagonized the living poop out of each other since the late 60s. It just makes for great reading. Let's go to 80 Boys to Men, BBD, ABC. I'm a new IndyCar fan of last year, and it's all because I listen to sports podcasts and then started listening to your IndyCar podcast, too. So I preface my question by stating that I've only seen the 2019 Indy 500 and know very little of the IndyCar's series history. So my question is, what is your personal favorite Indy 500 story? My personal favorite compared to my impersonal favorite. Uh, hashtag me personally. What's my favorite story? Well, I'd need to give you a personal one, since that was uh, the note here. Uh, Bernard Perkinsier. Might have heard me tell this one before. It's been a while, though. The 1998 Indy 500, which would have been my second. I was the assistant team manager. I was an assistant, a lot of assistant. Assistant team manager, assistant engineer, and I don't know what all else. Um, our little team, we didn't have a whole lot of money and we had a crew. None of it was volunteer. We were all paid, but it was a small crew. Half of us had minimal racing experience. The other half of us did. And there was this guy that came around once or twice, redheaded German guy, barely spoke English. And this was, I think, early, early in the month. And he was able to put together enough words to convey the fact that he was wanting to know if he could have a job. And I believe with Bernard's limited grasp of English, that's the only way he knew to express what he was really getting at was he wanted to know if he could volunteer, but he presented as wanting to know if he could have a job. And so I basically blew him off because we didn't have any money and we'd actually lost our sponsor coming into the event. So we really had nothing. Um, he came back, I believe again, maybe the next day and tried to, however it worked out, was able to finally grasp, he was wanting to volunteer and then found out that he'd been up and down gasoline alley, talking to every single team and was turned away by every one of them multiple times. And so just under, uh, understanding and appreciating his perseverance, I said, all right, come back tomorrow and we'll find something. And he was the most selfless guy imaginable. Normally what you do in these situations with a volunteer person who you don't know, you want to find out what they're made of, you give them the crap jobs. It's not because you want to be a jerk, but you go, all right, well, let's see if you really want this thing. And so Bernard cleaned everything. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous how hard the guy worked. Huge smile. Still a massive language barrier. We start to figure out that 
loved the Indy 500. It's his passion. This, I believe, was his first ever trip. He had booked this through a travel agent, which would have been the norm in 1998. Online booking wasn't really a thing. And they'd put him in, not the Speedway Motel, but something just right across the street. And it, you know, this is, if you've never been shot and you've wanted to be shot, that would be the place to go. And so we offered, I think we were working late one night to drop him off. It was just, you know, a short walk for him, but we still just wanted to like, hey, be, you know, invite you in. You're not just the guy who shows up in the morning and and volunteers and goes home. We want to, you know, take you back to your hotel, make you feel like you're part of the team. And we get there and he starts talking about, again, roaches and this and that and lays out a scenario where it sounds like he, he's living in something that should have been condemned. Like, just like we could not imagine the guy spending another night there. So I think we more or less scooped him up and said, all right, grab your stuff. You're going to come stay with us. And here's a guy who, for the rest of the month, was just this little heart, this engine that none of us knew. We totally dismissed him in the beginning. Didn't Couldn't understand him. We're like, yeah, go away, man, whatever. And through persistence, kept coming back. We gave him, you know, whatever thing we could think of that he might be able to do without having any racing experience. Aced everything, was amazing in doing that, and then had this one crazy project that he started doing, which we couldn't understand. So we had some plastic chairs, uh, and he asked if he could, we didn't really understand what he asked. He just wanted to have one to do something with. And I think this is during a day that was downtime, and he is outside with the sawzall. He cut off the rear legs of it. And this is one of those like five dollar, you know, Costco, Sam's Club type backyard plastics chairs. Cuts the rear legs off of it, so it's now just got two legs. He's putting. He grabs some of the the Confor cockpit foam, the seat padding foam, and head surround foam. Put Confor foam along the seat back and beneath it a little bit and we we just actually didn't want to bother him we were fascinated by what he was doing and he's out there again and sawing and filing and trying to make the edges nice and do and we could not grasp what on the and it took him hours what are you doing so finally we could see he got to a point where he was more or less done and he had a grin and for us, it was just hours of suspense of what the hell is Bernhard doing outside? But we'd let him be. And so I think our crew chief, John Ennick, might have said, what is this? You've got a $5 plastic chair with the legs cut off the back. You've taken some very expensive foam, which we said was okay, and glued it or taped it to the back of the seat and the bottom of it a little bit, you've put some beneath the front legs. What is this? And so he took it over to our car, Delara Oldsmobile, and put it on the side pod and leaned it up against the engine cover. And so he, however he said it, he pointed to it and basically said, Borg Warner. And we finally figured out Bernard thought we felt we were going to win the Indy 500. This is our second time there. And he wanted to make sure that when we won and when the Borg Warner trophy was brought into victory lane, instead of it just sitting on its own stand or whatever, that there was something that was made specifically to sit on our car. And I think he'd leveled it because the side pod tapered down a little bit in the back. He had made this stand to rest on top of the side pod, lean back against the engine cover. He had padded the bottom of the legs so the legs didn't scratch or gouge the side pod. And the back of the seat didn't gouge or scratch up the engine cover. That the Borg Warner Trophy could be placed on top of this white $5 plastic seat is the sweetest thing in the world. And it just, it granted, we did qualify in the front row. We qualified second, which was amazing. Maybe he did it after that. I don't know. I don't honestly recall. But it was just one of those things where you go, wow, what an amazing circumstance. Guy shows up on a lark, dreamed to be there, has no experience doing anything, but knows he could at least clean and maybe take orders. 
gets tossed out. He wasn't didn't have a, a badge to get in. He talked his way in somehow day after day. And finally, we were the team that said yes. And he was able to help us, genuinely helped us, really added to the team, had, did this amazing gesture of making our Borg Warner uh, stand. And the coolest part for me is I see Bernhard every year at the Indy 500 with either a Sam Schmidt, Rick Peterson, Aero McLaren SP type outfit or a big one, small, you name it. Bernard shows up every year and has volunteered for almost every team. And I just think it's so cool that, you know, we could talk about the time where we did this and went fast here and personal achievements and whatever. I just think back to Bernard and like, wow, that is the spirit of the Indy 500 to me. Uh, Dream realized and look at the tradition he's been able to continue afterwards. Uh, Let's see. Jim Aiello, our dear pal Jim Aiello from the Indy Star. So it's first time, long time. Power versus New Garden versus Pagano. Steel Cage, who you got? I'll hang up and listen. So I, I DM'd with Jim and said, now, had you expanded this to include Alexander Rossi and allowed their race engineers as a tag team? It's absolutely Rossi and Jeremy Millis. Granted, Rossi does nothing. He just sits on next to the ring and stares at his phone while Millis uses his farm strength to just you know, swing people in the air and throw them 50 feet. Uh, That's how that works. But since you didn't include them, Jim, um, of course, it's willpower because you've mentioned his two teammates as the folks that he has to go up against in the steel cage. They're petrified of him. They love him more than any teammate they've ever had, ever, ever, ever. They're also genuinely frightened of power because... He's Australian, so that's something to be fearful of. We know that he's punchy, very punchy, and there are so many wires crossed in that beautiful mind of his. Yeah, you would have to have police there for that steel cage match because he might eat them. He might just sit down and eat them. Uh, some fava beans, I'm telling you. that. But it's it's power all day. Um, and Jim, i got to admit, I'm a little disappointed, you know? That's kind of easy one, pal. But anyways, um, thanks, brother, for sending that in. Uh, let's go to Vitor G. Barreto from Reddit, who says, Could you explain the Spam Fart team ownership? Who owns it, McLaren or Sam Schmidt? Spam! That would be Sam Schmidt and Rick Peterson. They are sole owners of Aero McLaren SP. McLaren is a partner through contribution of sponsorship and some assets, and managerial layer, and a few other things. But if we're talking who owns it, it is 100% Schmidt and Peterson. As we wind down, Grant Stouter. Marshall, why don't we see the more aggressive mid-2010s Red Bull Racing steering wheels in IndyCar? Is it structural integrity or personal preference? Well, we have a difference here, Grant. One is power steering, one is not. One needs to have a crazy amount of force fed through it, and the other one does not. So the reason that you have IndyCar steering wheels that are bigger and beefier and meatier than F1 cars, it is because it really does have to withstand Uh, significant forces being put through it compared to F1, which does not. I'm going to go to Cody, DW12. Hey, Marshall, re-watching some older races during this extended break. I happened across Cart Cleveland 2001 when Mamo Gidley made the move on Justin Wilson for the lead in the early stages. The commentators made mention about how the track had more right-handers than left, and it meant some teams had gone for an oval-style setup with wedge and bias, but on the opposite side. It says, is this still common practice, and is there anything more to it? Thanks, as always, and best wishes to you and your wife. Yeah, we get that comment every now and then, Cody, and by and large, it's complete nonsense. So, yeah. Uh... If you do have a road course that is left, 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 left all the time, or right, 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 
then that would make sense. But not in this case, where you need a vehicle that is indeed balanced. And, yeah, so I guess I'm telling you that don't always believe everything idiots like me say to a microphone. Uh, let's go to William Matson again. Says MP, since you talked about him last week, been wondering how is Gunther Steiner still employed? Gunther is the team principal for the Haas F1 program. He must have compromising evidence on someone. Who do you think he has evidence on? And what do you think they were doing? He says, I'm going to guess he has footage of Ross Braun involved in a diamond heist to fund his Braun GP team in 2009. I love it, William. Yeah, again, I am fascinated how this guy has a job. Uh, Here's a quick thought, though. Uh, Knowing that while I appreciate Gene Haas's passion to have a Formula One team and he's an American and all those things, uh, I have not seen decision-making there that tells me they are destined for more success than they have had, which is not much. Uh, This is a team that, for whatever reason, embraces mediocrity. And I'll raise my hand here. This is not self-deprecating. This is not, I mean, self-deprecating is kind of my default mode. But I was mediocre, by and large, when I worked in IndyCar. I had years, times, where I was, I'd say, good. Possibly very good at times. But... You know, there are also more times than I'm comfortable with and have to admit, that wasn't great. I, I was serviceable. I could absolutely do the job that I was paid to do, but I can tell you that looking down the rest of pit lane, there were tons of folks who were far better managers or engineers or whatever else, and that's honest truth. I look at Gunther, and I see myself. <laughs> I see myself and go, wow, uh, come join us in the media. Boy, it'd be awesome if Gunther started, you know, writing a story or two or something. I don't know. Um, there's, I don't think I was ever as bad as him. I, I that's another honest statement. I am struggling to think of any period. I might have had brief spells, but the sustained garbage, I, I, I marvel at the fact that this guy continues to get jobs. And what comes to mind here is if and when Gene Haas decides he's done with Formula One, I cannot think of any team that would hire him. I cannot think after exposing his managerial deficiency. Boy, I I don't know if that was a hiccup or a stalled burp or what, but it just happened. Um, And I'm leaving it in because this is my unpolished turd of a show. I can't think of any team that would hire this guy after exposing just the insanity of his behavior. Uh, just the the worst uh so maybe he is going to be joining us uh, maybe the guy is going to be in press conferences but asking the questions to f1 drivers and principals going forward uh i'm also <laughs> thankful that there weren't netflix documentary cameras around when i was doing my job because i probably would have been booted quickly as well uh but yeah the guy fascinates me uh, I just so want to sit down and talk with him and understand. But it's it's more of the like interview with a serial killer type fascination. I just want to sit across the desk from the guy and, and grasp how this has come to be. Got about four questions to go. Starting with our pal John Foreman says, MP recently discovered that the 2016 through 2018 IndyCar seasons are available on YouTube, the IndyCar series channel. This is someone who just started watching the series. Last year's 500, this is excellent news and makes social isolation much more enjoyable. But I was wondering why one of the 2019 season was available. Did IndyCar change its distribution rights? Indeed, they did. So we went from ABC, NBC to strictly NBC. We went to this new streaming service, NBC Gold. So, yes, I would say that signing up for Gold 
would be a smart thing in general if you can afford it. I think it's about 50 bucks or so. I pay for it. Like, I don't get that, you know, I don't get this stuff free uh, as well. But pay for it, and I will admit that I don't look at it a lot, but I have looked at it a bit and found that there is some cool kind of content that is saved there that you won't find elsewhere. Uh, Reed Ruthenberg. Hey, Reed. Hey, Marshall. This is my favorite time of the week. Do you think the Champ Car DP01 or the current IndyCar DW12 is more technologically advanced. So I know the DP01 from 2007-2008 was pretty advanced, and the current cars aren't really known for being that advanced, but there is almost over a decade of tech difference between them. Well, Reed, in theory, keep in mind, though, that the Panos DP01 that came out, debuted for that 2007 season, was not adopted when Champ Car and the IndyCar series came together because IndyCar bought Champ Car, Champ Car folded. Not a surprise that IndyCar stuck with its cars then. But the DW12 was designed just, what, three years later, 2011? No, it came out and started competing in 2012. But the base vehicle that we have today is only a couple years older. Uh, or I should say newer than the DPO one. So these are cars of fairly similar timelines. Granted, as we know, the DW 12 has been through 47 different iterations with stock bodywork, manufacturer bodywork, modified manufacturer bodywork. Don't flip over in a crash at Indy bodywork. Uh, now the UAK 18 bodywork. Now a arrow screen bolted onto that as well. We've had the floor with no hole, with a hole, with a different hole. We've had the tub modified a hundred times to add more safety items in it. We've modified the wheelbase because there was a rearward weight distribution problem when it was initially delivered. Uh, There's been all kinds of changes to it. I would not point to anything, though, Reed, as being more advanced than the DPO one I really and truly would not. There are naturally some things that are higher tech because of time and evolution, but, yeah, uh, I would tell you that the DPO one right now, today, with Firestone's latest tires, or at least developed to suit that car's handling capabilities... Oh, yeah, that thing would be (laughs) monstrous, and it's so beautiful. Uh, But, yeah, this is just really not a case where we had actually, you know, 10 years between cars. It was more about three, four at most, and at least for the original DW12, that thing was a donkey. All right, Paul Trahan. Hey, Paul, says, have you ever thought about writing an autobiography? And if so, would you read the audio book version? Well, I would if the author paid properly. I have thought about it because I am a writer, so I guess that's narcissism, something cissism. I struggle with this, though, Paul, and maybe it's a self-confidence. Yeah, that's probably the right way, probably the, the right description. I know that you all enjoy... Some of the things that I do, not all of them, nobody ever enjoys everything uh, that somebody does, but I just don't know if writing an autobiography would contain a lot that would be considered interesting. It's my life, so you know I can think of some highlights to include, but it's probably a modified version of self-confidence And it's probably more fear for why I haven't and wouldn't. I don't know if I want the embarrassment of spending a lot of time to write my autobiography, A Life of Mediocrity, the Marshall Pruitt story, and find that A, no publisher wants it, or ask first and find no publisher wants it, or B, A publisher wants it, and it loses a massive amount of money, and no one buys it because I am no one. 
and the life I've led, again, I, I think there could be some interesting things in there, but um, it'd probably be a lot of non-racing things. And my upbringing was crazy and has shaped my entire life. Just getting to the racing stories, like uh, maybe that'd be halfway through the book. I don't know. But, yeah. I guess what I attempt to keep in mind at all times, Paul, is I realize that I've garnered a little bit of notoriety in the profession where I work. It's massively appreciated. It feels incredibly weird, but I don't want to mistake the fact that I have awesome listeners for a weekly podcast series that I do, and we enjoy one another's company for, is this something the average person who doesn't know who I am uh, would ever want to read? And I fear the answer is no. So being the guy to do this and then having to do the, hey, buy one, get 10 free, please just take them. It's filling up the garage. Or we had, oh my goodness, the second bathroom stacked top to bottom and unsold Pruitt autobiographies. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've thought about it. I, I just struggle with convincing myself I am interesting enough. And again, this is not self-deprecation. It's honesty. I know myself better than anyone. I just... I don't know. Um, I have had a thought of writing something that is not straight autobiographical in terms of presentation, but maybe some sort of photo autobiography type thing. A lot of photos, also just some racing photos that I've taken too, and just stack some stories, a paragraph or two below each photo on the page to tell something. I don't know. Uh, storytelling is something I enjoy. Just not convinced in the least that beyond the family we have here, anyone would want it or give a fart about it. But I would read it as an audiobook if uh, if desired. All right, we're going to go to our final question of the week. Goes to Brett Ross as MP. If you were to take one IndyCar driver and have them drive in the swamp buggy races in Florida, who would it be? He says he cannot pick Alexander Rossi. I would not. Uh, Alexander being somewhat germaphobic, OCD in that regard. Uh, I, Yeah, I know he's done Baja. And I know it's a dusty thing, but mucky, dirty, wet? Eh, I'm not sure if that is exactly Alexander's shebang-a-bang. Who would I throw in there? Who's kind of the hardiest driver who would just revel in it and be laughing and would not care. Huh. And it's fun looking through the list because I'm like, nope, not that guy. Borday, not a chance. Ain't happening. Uh, Charlie Kimball, nope. Ed Carpenter, nope. The the least likely, Max Chilton. Max would not get dirty, period. Uh, where do we go? Who Who's like, I don't want to, Connor Daly's just the obvious thing for all, right? He's kind of the most fun, the punchiest going out having beers with folks and throwing like he's that guy i just don't always want to pick him trying to think who would who would actually do this and dig it and i'm gonna go with hunter ray hunter ray is is kind of a sportsman outdoorsman loves his watercraft that strikes me as a hunter ray thing plus it's he's a now he's a florida guy um i would absolutely think he would be super quadruple the right guy to do this and he'd love it he would absolutely love it um that's our guy in the spirit behind hunter ray that's something that i don't know if enough people are aware of but you know he's he's real he is a guy that is all about driving all about racing and if you can throw in some fun as well and get your elbows up and get you know some bugs in your teeth or mud or whatever uh, he really does stand out as that guy all right i want to thank you guys for sending in the questions it looks like if we can do this frequency it looks like we'll be able to do this each week and if not i don't know i'll come up with something stupid hey if you haven't take a listen to our new nine minutes of nonsense show did the first two as the door keeps ringing i gotta go grab the door again uh check it out derek daly was our guest for the first two episodes it was a blast 
want to say thank you again to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and also Bell Racing Helmets USA. Thanks again for your questions. I will look forward to speaking to you next week. The end. <laughs>